The Evolve with Pete Evans podcast is a conversation about my favorite ingredients for a healthy human experience. We take an informed look at topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being as well as expanded consciousness. I love exploring the topics that are not traditionally taught at school and take a deep dive into them with my special guests. I invite you to sit back and come along for the ride with an open mind and heart and please share with your family and friends as these podcasts may just be the seed from which many things will flourish from. Cheers. We've been using Waters Co. water filters for the last 10 years and I wholeheartedly trust my family's health with them. Waters Co., established 1977, have personal and domestic water filters, which turns your ordinary tap water into great tasting, alkaline, ionized mineral water, which removes up to 99.9% of fluoride, heavy metals, chemicals, and bacteria, so you can love your tap water again. The Bio 1000 is the latest edition of the BMP 1000 model and the culmination of over 40 years of experience and research into water filtration by some of the world's leading scientists. Waters Co. was first to market with natural gravity-fed systems, creating alkaline water way back in 1984, and have continued to lead the market in research and development, setting the benchmark for all other brands to follow. Please go to my webpage, PeteEvans.com, to learn more and to receive your special discount from my link on the products page. You're going to love it. Kerry Rivera is an author, speaker, health consultant, and autism mum and she's helped over 800 people recover from autism between the ages of 6 months and 32 years of age. To find out more about Kerry Rivera, please visit her website, kerryrivera.com. That's K-E-R-R-I-V-E-R-A.com. And you can also find her book, Healing the Symptoms Known as Autism, the second edition. Kerry, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. How are you, sister? Great. Nice to see you. Nice to be with you. Thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Oh, hello. <laughs> My little dog is barking at the birds outside. It could be the horse, actually, but it's always a good sign when she starts barking. It's like, okay, here we go. Present. I hope mine don't start barking. Otherwise, we're going to have a problem. <laughs> so tell me, I want to know all there is to know about what you know about the world, oh, how, to, how to help with children with autism. I've been down so many paths with this. And interestingly enough, I had someone reach out to me this morning. A woman with a 10-year-old boy, he had an epileptic fit today or seizure today. And she has started to adopt different dietary approaches from Natasha Campbell McBride, the GAPS diet, ketogenic, as well as looking at CBD oil or cannabis. She's like, what else can I do? Oh, I'm speaking to someone that might know tonight. So there's my email. Just give her my email. I keep it there so people can find me because they're trying to disappear us one by one as much as they can. So we have to try to keep the news out there, and so people can actually access information that is now censored beyond beyond belief. The censorship that we're under, I think. It is. It's it's wild, and it's it's they're doubling down and tripling down. So let's let's talk about your story into how you got to be. A spokesperson for this and what you've learned across the decades in this? Sure. Well, my son Patrick was born healthy in the year 2000. And then after, well, sometime between 12 and 18 months, things became a little more difficult. But then, of course, the doctors would just say, oh, terrible twos or bilingual home or he's spoiled or these kind of things. And by two and a half, he wasn't talking anymore. So that things were not right. And nobody could give me any reasons why. And 20 years ago, there, 18 years ago, there wasn't so much information on the internet. There wasn't so much internet either. You know, I don't think even I even had an email at that point. And then I lived in a coastal town in Mexico on the beach. So there wasn't, you know, it was definitely not cutting edge technology or anything like that or any, you know, fantastic medicine going on there. And so a tourist who was a psychologist was a friend of the school my children were attending. And the, the director of the school said, oh, I'd like her to see your kids. And I was like, oh, okay, fine, you know, no problem. And then she's like, does he always, you know, run in circles? I'm like, well, yeah, it started a few months ago. And does he always squeal like a dolphin? Well, it also started a few months ago. And then she's, oh, yeah, your son has autism. I was like, autism? It sounds terrible, you know. And I said, what can I do? She's like, well, nothing. You know, there's nothing really to do, just a lot of therapy. And I thought, gosh, that just sounds terrible because I know this 
perfectly healthy baby was born and developed, it crawled, walked, talked. Eye contact was incredible. He was super sharp. And then, of course, he had faded away now by this point. You know, it was definitely about a year or so that he had faded away. And so somebody that I knew from tennis, I played tennis, I saw her one day and I was really, you can imagine, pretty depressed. And I saw her and I really didn't want to say hi, but, you know, something from inside of me said, just, you know, sit, pull it through. I'm like, hey, hi, how are you? Oh, nice car. She just got a new car. And she's like, how are you doing? I'm like, my son just got diagnosed with autism. She's like, I know this woman in Canada and she knows all about autism and her son was diagnosed with autism and she's making him better. And I was like, great. So that was back in the time of email, you know, this is like 2004. And so I sent her an email and immediately I got this long email back from this woman named Nora. And she said that, you know, vaccines cause them. Well, then all of a sudden I'm like, of course, you know, he was fading away over that second year of life, you know, so something had happened to him. It wasn't something like genetic that he was born with. It happened. And then she's like, you have to go see this doctor and this biomedical interventions and diet and all this kind of stuff. And then the next day, a friend was over with her son to play with my older son. I said, oh, I've got this diet about ADD and autism. I was like, okay. And the diet was basically just gluten-free, casein-free, but my son only ate everything with gluten and casein at that point. He had restricted his diet to the most awful possible diet for himself. Mm-hmm. But I saw that he did eat one thing. He did eat potatoes. I mean, nobody put your kid on potatoes. But at this point, again, this is now still like, you know, 18 years ago, 17 years ago. I literally took everything out and he had potatoes fried in coconut oil with sea salt on it. In three days, he spoke three words. Like in three days, he got speech back. I mean, it wasn't where it was before, but I realized, wow, the diet worked. And that was the beginning of my process. And of course, you know, almost like $750,000 later, we went from 2004 to 2010. And the biggest improvements that I ever saw with him was diet. And you know, being chef, food, how important that is to you positively or negatively. So we always had good runs with diet and pretty much all of the biomedical interventions that we did with lab testing, supplementation, they were really minimal. improvements with those kind of things. By this point, I'd opened a biomedical clinic in Mexico, was the first of its kind in all of Latin America. And Dr. Bernard Rimland gave it a little blessing. He's the grand godfather of autism recovery because he wrote the first book in 1964, Infantile Autism. So his child was born. And actually, he was a a co-producer of Rain Man. So it was basically more like his son. It was also savant. And, you know, they were still trying to say in the early 60s it was the refrigerator mother that was the problem. And he says, well, my wife was the mother of my three children. So how come the other two are fine and he's not okay? So he identified that early on and then started a compilation of, you know, letters. People were writing letters back in the 60s and 70s. Hey, uh, cod liver oil is working for my kid. Magnesium and B6 and all these kinds. So he was, he was compiling all of these things. And before he passed away, I was fortunate enough to have met this incredible man who really started, you know, he put the first bricks in the road of recovery. So there was definitely improvements, but a lot of it became kind of managing autism is what I saw happening. And managing autism is very expensive. So nobody was really setting out to cure, you know, I can't use that word, you know, recover, heal from this disease. So, but it makes sense. There's a friend of mine, Dr. Roby Mitchell out of Texas. And he said, if you're not born with it, you don't have to die with it. And I really believe those words. They're so true. And now I've watched, of course, this is my own path. It took me off of that path, but that got me to where I was. And I saw, yes, there's a problem. I know that children with autism and probably 99% of the kids are vaccine injured. That's pretty much what it is. There's still like a 1% that might be from the glyphosate destroying the immune system. Can be a series of things like Rogam shots when the mother, you know, or flu shots when the mother is pregnant. So there's other things that can affect the unborn child as well, you know, so they come out and people say, yeah, my kid was never better since. But if you follow the history back a little bit into the mother's pregnancy, you might find like flu shots or Rogam shots or these kind of things. At the end of the day, what all kids with autism have in common is they all have excess pathogens, virus, bacteria, parasites, candida. They all have heavy metals. And of course, there's overall inflammation in the body, you know, be brain or gut, and they have a leaky gut. So what do you have to do? Well, you have to take out the factors that are causing the exacerbation of the problem. And then, of course, the body starts to heal itself. The body is incredibly wise. You know, I, I work with many, many families that believe in God, whatever the name of their God is, this, you know, this 
I mean, how could we have been made by mistake? It's kind of like fever, like fever is bad. No, actually it's the way we keep on going. So once you start to realize that the body is integrally wise, but you have to give it what it needs. And I think too many times we're going against things that take away our health, like antibiotics, vaccines, and and you know the big pharma things that they want us. And this is, I think, where the, all this control comes from, Pete, as well. I mean, at the end of the day, as Dr. Stephanie Seneff from MIT says, the children born by 2032, one in two will be autistic in their lifetime. So this is a terrible thing because you know, if you have somebody who has autism, you might not know, I hope your children are healthy, but if you know about this, it really takes one of the parents to stay home. So if you've got one in two kids, you're definitely gonna take one in two people out of the workforce as well because the world's just not prepared for that kind of lifelong care that they're gonna need. So it all goes back to the 1% and the 99% is what we're seeing in 2020 right now. Like the 1% has the 99% of us on lockdown. You know, the 1% is telling the 99% of us that we have to get these vaccines and that, you know, we have to take these, these shots and these things. So this is all very disturbing, especially when you see it from the perspective of, you know, being a parent of a child who I would say is vaccine injured. And then, of course, the recovery from that. So, yes, okay, there's, there can be recovery from these things, but there still can be long-term damage, especially when people don't know that there's alternatives for these things. Yeah, I thank you for sharing your story there. The word that you use is recovery. I've posted many things over the years about and shared many things about autism. I've worked with some amazing naturopaths, medical doctors, integrative doctors, parents, and people with autism as well. And there seems to be a very, it's nearly like a line in the sand type thing where there's a belief out there that says autistic people are beautiful, which I agree, and that they do not need to be recovered in your stance, you know, what you're talking about, that just let them be because that's how they're meant to be. And it's a very emotive topic. And and I've been criticized very deeply from people that believe in that and they have children like that saying well it's just genetics it's why would we want to change who they are because that's who they are and I've even had autistic people say basically piss off Pete you've got no idea you know I love being autistic and this is my life and I find it I don't know what to say you know I, I don't have children with autism and I'm not autistic myself though and when you use the word recover what do you mean by that? And how would you explain that in a conscious and the best way possible for anybody that is, because you mentioned before that it may have happened from a flu shot while they were pregnant or the microbiome of the parents or the past lifestyle choices may have, may have a flow on effect. Before you answer that question, I'll, I'll just give you my own personal experience because my first daughter was born with a tumor on her coccyx and that raised the alarm bells for me. I was like, how did this happen? How does a child be born with this? And for me, I was like, was it the alcohol that I drank through before her being pregnant? Was it my emotional? Was it the mums? Something must have happened. I mean, that's how I thought for that to develop, which became the catalyst for me to go on this journey pretty much. So I know I've, put a lot in there, but I'll, I'll hand it over to you. Sure. Well, I think that when you talk to somebody and they say, hey, Pete, bugger off or whatever the term was that you used, I'm autistic and I'm fantastic. I think that the parents like me and our children that are vaccine injured and they have autism, they're mostly nonverbal. They can't express themselves. They cannot run Facebook groups of we're different, we're you know indigo or we're autistic or whatever, and we're autistic and we're proud. Our kids can't do that. Our kids are like in diapers until they're in their 20s, self-injurious, seizures, epileptic, drooling, screaming all night, uh, fecal smearing on walls. These are totally different people. So I think that that's also maybe this label of autism, it's an incorrect term. So maybe what we should do is separate out these people who consider themselves to be autistic and proud and run Facebook groups about how proud they are to be autistic because they're totally verbal, they're totally functional, they usually have jobs, or at least if not, they're running Facebook groups or they're running texts or whatever their situations are. They're attacking people like me, for example, that wish our kids were that functional. On the other side, we have, like I said, the children who are now up screaming all night, you know, uh, crying diapers, nonverbal, 
cannot speak, cannot look you in the eye, don't realize that they're walking into traffic, for example. I mean, like that kind of situation. These are two totally different people. These would be two totally different diagnoses. So I think like, for instance, you know, I saw an interview with you with Dr. Wakefield, you know, and that's a vaccine injury, what, you know, what he originally identified, you know, or Del Bigtree is talking about vaccine injury. So we're not talking about people that are just different and just different. I'm not really sure why they're different, you know, and that can also be they're mildly affected, but they're still totally functional, but they think differently. I'm not really sure. I'm not into that issue because sometimes they call them indigo or they whatever, but they're too totally different diagnosis. I just think to say autism is so vague. And the other day somebody was telling me, yeah, my son was going to have a face painting thing. And, and then the, the woman's like, oh, he's not talking to me. And she's like, yeah, he's autistic. She was, oh, I'm autistic too. Yeah, she's a face painter at a party. I mean, this is not the same diagnosis. So I think that those labels need to be maybe reconfigured, you know, if that's the way that we're going to see it. So you can't get into an argument, for instance, with a child with autism because they don't have internet, they can't maneuver through speech and language and that kind of stuff typically. So there's different diagnoses. So recovery then, let's talk about recovery. Right. What does that mean and how, how effective can it be? Is it gradual? Is it traumatic? Is it by stages? Because I've heard the younger that you can start some of these protocols, the better, the later, maybe not as not so good. So t- talk me through your experience. Because And how many people have you helped along this journey of yours? Well, before the censorship came, the Facebook groups were in excess of about 60,000 families. And that would be maybe like 12,000 in Turkish. It would be maybe another 11,000 Arabic. In English, the group would be larger. Spanish, Portuguese, Russian, I'm leaving out languages, but pretty much we had about 15, 13 to 15 different languages and different moderators in these groups. So I know in the Korean group, I think there were only like seven or eight people in the Korean group. And I think three or four of them recovered. Anyway, so there's recovery is basically you have a label, you have a diagnosis, And of course, you know, like what happened with me, they tell you, oh, your kid's never going to talk. He's not going to get better. Just do some therapies and go on with your life. But then you start to do diet and the child gets their speech back. And then you start to do other things to control the pathogen load, which has now gone totally, you know, like anarchy in the body. You have no more control. There is no more immune system that's working on a functional level. So, you know, that's pretty much out. And now the pathogens can grow and they can migrate throughout the body, causing all kinds of damage and inflammation. But once you get those under control, the child starts to come back. And of course, the recovery and the healing, like Dr. Mitchell said, if you're not born with it, you don't have to die with it. And so these kids were not born like that. Doesn't mean that there aren't some people who are born with issues. And like I said, that could come from the pregnancy. You know, there were some issues that they were born with. But like a child like mine, for instance, he was born fantastic. He was fine. He was beyond fine. He was super sharp. Speaking by, by the age of 12 months, many, many words, sharp, pointing, interactive, interested. And then, of course, over that next 12 months began to fade away. And then by the age of two and a half was nonverbal. So lost all that speech and you just don't know what happened because you're not sleeping anymore. But then as you start to recover the child, you start to realize what was happening. Explain to me this, because you talk about the parasites and the pathogen, what's going on in the gut. So how does a vaccine injured child develop more parasites, more dysbiosis or dysfunction of the microbiome from having a vaccine? Explain the science behind that or, or how that can happen. Well, typically when you have vaccines or even glyphosate, for example, it destroys the gut flora. The immune system is in the gut, 80% of it. So now all of a sudden you don't have any control of what's happening. The pathogens are able to run amok in the body. And then you have pathogen overgrowth. And pathogens, for instance, like bacteria, double their, their quantity every two hours. So there's just this massive overgrowth of pathogens, which causes leaky gut. And if you have a leaky gut, the things that should typically stay from you know mouth to the other end are now you know, flowing through your bloodstream and getting to the brain as well. And some things, for instance, like gluten and casein, which are the proteins in wheat and dairy, they will travel outside semi-digested because the enzymes are not appropriate. A lot of other things, low hydrochloric acid, et cetera. So there's a lot of things that are not appropriate. But now these proteins that are semi-digested are able to go through the leaky gut, meaning like these little porous parts of the intestine, and get into the bloodstream and travel to the brain and cause what's this effect of glutamorphine and cassiomorphine. And it's the effect of gluten and casein on the brain 
in the leaky gut group, which is, you know, basically everybody who's diagnosed with autism has this leaky gut and really need to be off the gluten and casein. Um, and one of the things that we never really understood with my son, you know, before the diagnosis, before the diet change was, you know, he would fall down or something like that. He'd trip and fall down and get up like nothing happened. Oh, wow. You know, well, he, maybe he doesn't feel anything, you know, or get into a cold pool, you know, and ever, nobody else could be in the pool. And he'd be like swimming around there like it was great. And it was cold, you know, we lived in obviously in the beach, but still it was still cold. So these kind of things we didn't really understand, but that's like that effect on the brain. So then of course now, like they notice once they're healed and they're, you know, recovered or whatever, that they obviously, you know, if something hurts, it hurts. Or if it's cold, it's cold. Or if it's hot, it's hot. So that's a totally different thing. But there, that's so many, just one small piece of so many different things that this leaky gut can affect. But the immune system is definitely down with these kids that have this autism diagnosis, you know, my autism I'm talking about, not those people who have Facebook groups and do face painting at parties. Those are not the same autistic people. So then how does it affect, I'm just trying to put the piece of the puzzle together. If there is such a thing as one size fits all, which I'm maybe there isn't how this works. How does it affect the brain then? Because from what I hear is some effects from having vaccines, for instance, it causes brain damage, which then causes autistic-like behavior. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Sure, because there's encephalopathy with the, with the vaccine. So it causes brain inflammation. And one of the girls that recovered doing my protocol, one of the things that was very interesting, the mom sent me a photo at one point of her daughter, and it looked like a Frisbee was in her head. I mean, it, it looked like there was a Frisbee. She said to me, it's really weird because there was a certain point, and she sent me this picture. And like I said, it looked like there was a Frisbee in there you know, at some point in her autism time. And I said, wow, the hyperbaric chamber, because I, I have a hyperbaric chamber. It's a two and a half ton medical grade chamber that I had at my biomedical clinic in Mexico. And it takes down brain inflammation, gut inflammation, body inflammation, and all these kind of things. So it's, they're fantastic. They use them for many different things, gangrene and burn victims and things like that as well. But she benefited greatly and fully recovered with the protocol. So that was a big thing. And it did take down the brain inflammation. So there are ways to get at brain inflammation because you can't get at it with a supplement, really. You can take down pathogen overload, which will definitely help with the overall body burden of inflammation. But then hyperbaric oxygen treatment would be very indicated for autism, for example. So you talk about a protocol. How did you come up with this? And is it your protocol or is it pieces of other people's work? Tell me how and, and what it's called. My family and I have been using beautiful, high-quality essential oils for the last 20 years to live healthily every single day. Now, if you're passionate about health and are ready to step into leadership, I want to invite you to partner with my team and I to build a beautifully successful doTERRA business. Register at Pete hlc.com backslash Pete. That's Pete, HLC, which stands for the Healthy Living Collective, dot com backslash Pete. Well, my son was diagnosed in 2004 and I started with the diet at that point. And then of course, this woman from Canada who sent me the letter, she said, you got to go see this doctor in Florida. He's so great. Well, it wasn't so great, but I went to see the doctor anyway. And, you know, five, $6,000 of supplements later and injections and every other thing. And then it was kind of like one after the other, after the other, I'm going to, from the one guy in Florida to the guy in California, to the guy in New York, to the you know person in Illinois and traveling around looking for, you know, the answers, stem cells, all these kind of things. And again, there's improvements along the way. And then I, I learned things and I would bring them back to Mexico and, and decide, okay, we'll open a biomedical clinic to help my own son, but then we can help other people along the way too. And so then with money from my mother and my ex-in-laws, we bought a hyperbaric chamber. It was a $150,000 chamber that we bought from a friend of Dr. Rimland's who created Chambers Dr. Bob Sands was his name people would come from all over the place and they would do hyperbarics. And it was amazing to see like cerebral palsy cases with kids walking again or speaking again and children with autism as well, having great results and just kind of across the board seeing all of these things happen. But then it did come to the point where it like Patrick got better and other kids got better, but like they, they stagnated because supplementation, hyperbarics and diet weren't enough. And they weren't focusing, I think most of these biomedical doctors are not focusing particularly on the pathogens themselves because in their toolkit, they don't have the appropriate tools. So I had bought some chlorine dioxide from a medical doctor in Mexico 
in 2009. And it was so inexpensive that I thought, oh, that can't do anything. So I continued on this very expensive path of biomedical interventions and realized at some point that my son was still marginally better. You know, it wasn't like after all this money that was being spent and all these interventions, he was just marginally better. And then I laid on my kid's bed one day, they went to school, this is June 2010, and I prayed. And I thought, well, maybe I'm praying to the wrong name. You know, maybe I got the name wrong. So I prayed to like every, every name you could imagine that people call God or whatever that moves us, right? And no voices whatsoever. And I'm not one of those kind of people that would have voices, I think. But I did remember those drops. And again, it was kind of serendipitous at the same time because it could have just been those drops. It would have been nothing, right? But I had still had them in my, I still stored them in my cabinet. So I went downstairs. I put, you know, one drop with one drop and turned color, stunk. I said, okay, that works. So then I started what was originally a Google search. So 2010 Google searches were not the algorithm controls that they are today. So I was able to find all kinds of information about chlorine dioxide at the time called MMS, which is just Miracle Mineral Solution that Jim named it, Jim Humble, who found it basically for curing malaria 25 years ago. So he's the first person that took it to health and healing. But when I was researching it, it was, you know, it destroys virus by opening the viral envelope. It destroys bacteria. It destroys candida. It kills parasites. It takes down inflammation. It removes oxidative stress and neutralizes heavy metals. So like every single thing that I knew to be in autism, you know, part of this label would be taken care of but I had no idea how to use it. And there was nothing about children. There was nothing about autism. There was nothing about that. It was, you know, basically adult protocols. So I, I had to find this Jim Humble somehow. This is 2010, August. And I send an email. And Mark Renan, who had the, the Genesis 2 Church with uh, Jim Humble back in the Dominican Republic in 2010, he answered my email. I said, okay, I'll get Jim to contact you. Because I said, oh, I've got this clinic and I do these conferences all over Latin America and this and that. So Jim just sent me like this really simple email. He said a 25 pound child takes one drop eight times a day. A 50 pound child takes two drops eight times a day. And a 100 pound child takes three drops eight times a day. My son had just turned 10 years old in August of 2010. So I said, okay, three drops eight times a day. So three drops eight times a day. I'm, I mean, I'm putting these drops in again. You just see this like, they don't cost anything. They don't, it doesn't really look like anything's happening. And are you putting them in water? Yes, right, exactly. Putting them in water, you know, a big glass of water with a few drops, and he would take them you know, every hour or so. And by the afternoon, he had a Herxheimer reaction. So I said, okay, that's enough. And then by the evening, I was in the TV room, and I was just reading a book, probably watching Caesar Milan, something like that. And he was doing what he always does, standing in front of his touchscreen computer, jumping up and down. What was really different was at 9 o'clock at night, he turned to me and said, I want bed. In his lifetime, he had never requested to go to bed. He was a child that could stand jumping and flapping in front of that touchscreen computer until we said it was time to go to bed. Otherwise, he would just stay there. I mean, he would still be there, right? And then I was by myself with him. And I said, I mean, they always told me, oh, your son's a non-responder. You know, it's always my kid's fault. He's, you know, he's not, doesn't do well, whatever. So I figured I just heard something that wasn't really what he just said because he could say words, but yet he wouldn't request those kind of mundane type of things. You know, he'd ask for food, for example, but he would never ask for that. So I just said, okay. And then he started upstairs, marching upstairs to his room. So I followed him upstairs. And when we got upstairs, he turned to me. He looked me in the eye. His eye contact stayed bad that whole time. And he said to me, like, looking me right in the eye, and he said, I want take bath. I was always like, the, take a bath, take a bath. Let's, like, I was always doing, like, these, like, cheerleads, you know, to do all these kind of things, thinking it would stick one day. So he said, I want to take a bath. And then I realized, wow, he said something, like, really said something that he's not said before. And when he was in the bath and he was sudsing himself up with his aloofa pad and he was so happy with the water, and that wasn't really him. He was pretty melancholic, I think, was, you know, if you don't feel well, you're pretty much not really happy. And so as I got him out of that shower that day, I peeled the towel back and his eyes connected with my eyes with the same spark that he had eight years prior before I lost him. And it was really something that you say, oh my gosh, I think we've got something here. And then he, he asked to brush his teeth. And again, these are things he knows because I would say them, but he would never request these things. And then after the teeth were brushed, he's like, I want kink it, kink it. I said, 
blanket, blanket, yes. And he ran and dove onto his bed, which again, he would never jump. Like for instance, he was as a kid, like in a pool, he walked down the stairs, but he would never jump from the side, for example. So he'd never like jumped into the bed. And then I would, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And every time his eyes would catch my eyes. So what do you say when like, something's happened and you and of course it was not the situation that it is in 2020 where they're saying it's bad and it's poison it's ever, because now all of a sudden there's this agenda that's on you know like we got to get everybody vaccinated bill to get to seven billion vaccines we don't want any this chlorine dioxide that's going to fix something you know we don't want it it's cheap everybody can get it it's easy to use it's easy to find and so that was the beginning so i just you know i had a clinic at the time and people would come to the clinic and they're like oh my gosh what are you doing patrick he looks great i'm like well i got these drops from this doctor in guadalajara you know here's his number you know so people just i never sold chlorine dioxide but you know my son for four years that was from 2010 2014 he took it every day and he did amazing you know you don't have to take it for life that's why people say ah you're you're bleaching your kid and i keep you take it until you're healed. So it, it depends what you have. And of course, now, this is 10 years later, I've watched people recover from like fibromyalgia, Lyme. There's a doctor who recovered herself from Lyme on the East Coast, and she's gone on to help other people in the US as well. And a lady from Canada recovered herself from multiple sclerosis. I mean, these are non-recoverable, not to use the C word, you know, diseases. You know, they come from pathogens, they come from inflammation. And like, you know, Dr. Mitchell said, you know, if you're not born with it, you probably don't have to die with it. So, and of course, I was just being honest, sharing my story with what was happening with my own son. And then, of course, as I see these other children start to use it, and I barely knew how to use it at the time. And of course, now 10 years later, there's a full protocol that has been put together by myself with different people along the way that put pieces to it. So, for instance, Dr. Mitchell, since I've mentioned him a few times, he worked with Dr. Jonathan Wright from Washington State, and he wrote a book called Why Stomach Acid is Good for You, which is hydrochloric acid. If we're low hydrochloric acid, all the downstream enzymatic processes are not happening. And in autistic kids, all the kids with the autism I'm talking about, not those people that think that they're gifted and run Facebook groups, these kids that really have big issues with their gut, they need hydrochloric acid, for instance, and they need black seed oil. So these things are also going to help your own flora to regenerate, repopulate. It's not that it's not there. We don't need to be putting probiotics. And so there's lots of different things like that that go along with the chlorine dioxide, for example, or like the parasite protocol that was created by uh, Dr. Andreas Kalker for getting rid of parasites as well. Chlorine dioxide is good for it, but there's a few other things that help to support the eradication of parasites. Parasites are a much more clever pathogen than say candida. Candida is not as complicated to get rid of. So those are just some of the things. And, I, and of course, heavy metals are part of the situation and chlorine dioxide neutralizes heavy metals. But I always think it's a good idea to add in certain liquid chelators that are very easy to use as well as bentonite clay baths, for example. But it's a protocol now. And I wrote the book on the protocol back in 2013, 2014. It was number one in health book sales in Amazon in 2014. And then in 2019, Amazon sent me a letter saying that I don't I don't fit into their program and that my book will be taken off of their website in 24 hours. The account was frozen and that was taken down. And then of course, in the subsequent year and a half since that happened, all the Facebook groups are gone. I'm pretty much blacked out on servers. If I send an email to somebody like my mother, for example, that has one of these, you know, kind of general servers, I'll usually end up in their spam filter. So they're a big tech is able to control the information getting out as well, you know, and then they'll say that they're trying to make it better for us so we have a better user experience, but that's not the case. They're controlling algorithms. And of course, what used to be back in the day in the, you know, 2011, 2012, when there were many kids recovering from autism and a lot of parents were doing videos and we were sharing things on the internet, you only found positive things. And then twink, the algorithm changed and it was controlled. And now it's like, you know, bleach and bad and all this kind of stuff. Well, you know, bleach is sodium hypochlorite. It's not chlorine dioxide. So they also play on our ignorance. And ignorance is not bliss when you have a child with autism. You have to start moving. And, you know, why is then they'll say, oh, well, somebody died. Where? Who? Never. In 25 years of people using chlorine dioxide to heal, there's never been a death from chlorine dioxide because it doesn't have that power. You can't really screw yourself up with it. You, you know, you, even if you take too much, you just feel bad. But drink water, some orange juice, you're done. It cuts, it's over. So there's really not any, there's no downside to it. The upside is you could pretty much do away with most hospitals with the exception of the emergency rooms. 
that would be a downside for for the economics. And of course, that goes back to this 99% versus the 1%. The 1% are controlling us. You know, for the 99%, we all got together and we said, hey, you know, we're awake and we don't want to be on lockdown and we don't want to take those vaccines and we want to heal ourselves with, with alternative treatments that do not harm us, but they're only positive for our health and we don't want to eat uh, non-organic glyphosate-laden food. You know, I mean, if we, we started to make these kind of demands and we actually stood up for ourselves, which I don't know, you have kids. Did you ever see the movie A Bug's Life? Yeah, I actually shared a, a snippet of it the other day, actually, on, on the social media. I just think it's so powerful. It's so powerful. You know, if they knew that they were, there was more of them than there are of us, we'd be in trouble. And there are more. We're 99%. And they're trying to divide us by race, religion, creed, color. I mean, we are the 99%. They are the 1%. If you're not part of the 1%, you're not in. So we got to get together. I've got quite a few questions now. The name of your book, what's it called? My book is called Healing the Symptoms Known as Autism. I have a few books and I have another first aid book. And stuff. Okay, fantastic. People can get that from your website? Right, exactly. They can email me too. Fantastic. Kerry at kerryrivera.com. Number right. two, chlorine dioxide. What is it? Chlorine dioxide is a pro-oxidant. So it kills through oxidation. And it comes from the same family as ozone, oxygen, and hydrogen peroxide. So those kill the same way. The only difference is chlorine dioxide is the weakest. So pro-oxidants are measured in voltages. And chlorine dioxide is 0.95, where the body is 1.28, something like that, 1.28, 1.3. So it's weaker than the body, so it cannot harm friendly flora nor healthy tissue, but it can be very effective against pathogens, whereas ozone and uh, hydrogen peroxide are on the higher end. They're like 1.80 and 2.03. Mm-hmm. So you want to be basically where oxygen is also a pro-oxidant. Oxygen is basically the same as the body, obviously. So we want to be under because we don't want to actually have any – well, you can't have damage with chlorine dioxide just because it's weaker than the body. Yeah, interesting. I mean, we've got a, uh, an ozone machine here that we use through different protocols and hydrogen peroxide I've also done protocols of that on myself and I'm not recommending it for anybody but I'm just saying that 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 I have used this before under certain protocols and so where do people get chlorine dioxide from everywhere websites I mean they're all over websites they're all over the place I, I've worked with families in 77 different countries and they've never had a problem getting it I mean they it, it, I know South Africa for instance is difficult or Canada but you can still find it you can still find I do not sell it I've never sold it but there's lots of different websites. People can email me if they have a question because different countries and different places you can get them from. It's interesting. And I've just heard recently that, I don't know whether it's true, that people being arrested for providing this in the United States, is it correct? It is correct. It's mind blowing. But again, this goes back to the 99% and the 1%. The 1% is controlling us. When they say something is illegal, it's not illegal. Chlorine dioxide, they cannot make it illegal because it's in our water supply. When they're not using chlorine, they're using chlorine dioxide. Chlorine dioxide is not toxic for our health, and it's also sprayed on our food before it comes to market. So they they basically dust your fruits, vegetables, and meats with uh, a spray of chlorine dioxide. Otherwise, when it came to market, we'd probably all get sick from it. But chlorine dioxide kills the pathogens on the fruit, vegetables, and the meats before we eat it to make sure that those uh, toxic pathogens are not growing on the food. So chlorine, di- and it's chlorine dioxide is instantly over. It, it only lasts about 45 minutes and then it's completely finished doing whatever it's going to do and it's, it's done. It's over. So let's just take that as an example because over the years I've said chlorine-free water, fluoride-free water, don't touch anything from the supermarket that's not organic, you know, because they spray it with the glyphosate and other things. So how does this differentiate than chlorine that I've been telling people not to take in their water? or Well, chlorine is Cl. Chlorine is one molecule. And chlorine dioxide is a totally different molecule. So you can have like sodium or you can have what is salt, table salt. You know, it sounds really terrible. It sounds really toxic, but it's actually, you know, put salt on. We've been salting food for, you know, forever. I don't know how long, but for a long, long time. So it's basically like that. I mean, when you start hearing chemicals, they sound really awful and really scary, or they sound like they have things in common, but they really don't. So the way chlorine dioxide works 
is it throws off its chlorine molecule because it's a positively charged molecule looking for other negatively charged pathogens. And when it finds it, it throws off the chlorine molecule and that destroys itself. It destroys the pathogen as well in the process. And then you just have these two free oxygen molecules, which again, these are so small that it's not like, oh, I'm getting more oxygen. Although my friend Andreas Kalker, he has some wonderful videos on library.com. It's like L-I-B-R-Y.com. And he shows like a dark field microscope and you can see the chlorine dioxide actually oxygenating the blood and this kind of thing and gives a lot of the history of and the science of what chlorine dioxide is and what it isn't. But it's definitely not toxic. It's not chlorine. So just because they sound the same doesn't mean that they are the same. And when somebody says, well, it's bleach. Well, bleach is sodium hypochlorite. It's, bleach is just a, a term to say like, like lime or sun. They can bleach. They can take color out of clothing. So it's the act of removing the color, basically. So chlorine dioxide, if it's more straight or not diluted, it can take color, for instance, out of clothing. But if it's diluted, it wouldn't do that. But just the same as lime and sun would do or lemon and sun would do. So how's it produced? Do you know, actually know the production method for this? Right. They start off with these flakes. So there's the sodium chloride flakes, and then they reduce it in water, and then it becomes a water-soluble thing. And then there's an activator. And you can activate with drops of a lime by squeezing a lime or a lemon. You can activate it with citric acid. You can activate it with hydrochloric acid, vinegar. There's lots of ways that you can activate it into chlorine dioxide. I'm sure you've had this question many times from the, I guess, the people that are more naturally and organic and you never want to take such a, say, a chemical. Is there anything of the equivalent that's in the natural world that say is a plant or say is, is, is something like that, that does the same thing? No, there really isn't. Well, sodium chloride does exist in Spain. There is a, a natural mine of it in Spain. And there is a person out of the US who does use the natural mine for their sodium chloride flakes. So yes, I guess you could say yes, you can do it naturally as gotcha. well. Now, who isn't this for? Where have you seen this applied where it didn't make any difference to a child? Well, to children with autism, and again, I'm talking about the ones that are the nonverbal variety that, you know, that we believe are vaccine injured or glyphosate injured, I see them always improve. There's always change. They're always getting better. So they're healing and they're getting better. There's no question about that. But I've seen in cases of cancer where people still die. But again, cancer is more complicated. Cancer is emotional. Cancer has other factors as well. So that's where I would say, you know, I mean, but I also know other people that have treated people and people have treated themselves successfully with it for cancer as well and had, you know, good success. So I, that would say that would probably be the only, or I mean, even Lyme, I had one Facebook group back in the day and it was called CD Health and it was a lot of maybe like 10, 11,000 people in there. Most of them had Lyme. And many went on to recover. There was a lot of recoveries in that group, you know, like no longer having any Lyme symptoms and getting their life completely back, like this doctor who's gone on to help other people. And there was one woman, she was on the right, this doctor-assisted suicide list, and she was somewhere in the, the, the northwest of the United States where they, ha they offer that to people. And she was bedridden with Lyme, very, very, very bad. And one of the moderators from the group actually kind of took that person under their wing and got them out of bed and off the, the suicide list and the, the doctor assisted suicide list. So there's some also amazing things that I've seen happen where I don't know that the woman fully recovered because I never followed the case, but you know, things like that also happen. So there's usually improvement, whether you get a full recovery or not, it's another story in that case. And then going back to the start where you talked about diet being one of the most important. So is this a magic pill or do you need to use it in conjunction with all the other modalities that are in, I guess, your book or the protocol as well? Yeah, I, I think that if somebody is sick, you want to get rid of all the inflammatory foods, the things that you're taking into your body that cause inflammation. You know, organic is, of course, really, really important. And then, of course, getting rid of things like grains. If you've got gut injury, you want to get rid of grains. So that's when you talk about that GAPS diet by uh, Natasha, you know, or a ketogenic diet, for example. You get rid of the grains. You get rid of the fruits. So you're not feeding the pathogens. You're not continuing the destruction of the gut while you heal. And like people say, well, do I have to do this forever? No. Just until the child or the person or yourself is recovered, you want to take out, you know, inflammatory foods. Beautiful. On a spiritual level, what have you discovered about this and autism and what it does to families. I'm not sure whether you're open to talk about that, but I thought it might be somewhere that you can give us a different perspective on this as well. 
it's really heartbreaking. Actually, I took a case yesterday of a family and the child is going to be two in November. And you, you see this, they're a young couple. They're, they have a little baby, you know, the baby is what, 20 months old right now. And they just got the diagnosis of autism, you know, and they're starting to realize, yeah, by the time he was six months old, that last vaccine, he didn't do so well. And now, you know, you have to explain like, they're like, what do you mean diet? You know, we give them milk and oats and we give them weed and we give them, you know, and it's really devastating to see. And then, of course, you know, families that have been on the journey for a while, you end up staying, in my case, for instance, or, you know, close friends of mine, sometimes you stay married because there is no other way to get through it. You know, even though the marriage is dead, the people are at odds, you know, the, the couple is at odds, and you're having a lot of trouble that really, and, and of course, they say, well, autism added more stress to the marriage. Sure. You know, some of us would have made, wouldn't have made it anyway, you know, but I think that there's a lot more and financially it's just devastating because the amount of money that you have to spend in order to get therapies or treatments or support, I mean, just to be able to go out for dinner or just to be able to go to the grocery store. Some of these kids can't even leave the house, you know, so and single mothers, you know, that's why even is this situation, which they don't talk about on the news, but there's this murder suicide. The mother, of course, the parents are separated or divorced, whatever father is gone or mother is gone. Typically, it's the mother with the child, and the mother kills a child and kills herself. And, you know, I'm not judging it. I'm just saying some of these things are happening. But I think when you see this child fecal smear, uh, smearing and screaming and up all night and hasn't slept in years, you know, and the adult in diapers with seizures and the medications and nothing is really working. And that's why I, I can't go away. I still think that I have to speak the truth of what I've seen. Unfortunately, the First Amendment, which is, you know, my freedom of speech is being infringed upon. And I think I'm not the only one. There's many, many of us, which you might share that with me as well. But the truth is the truth. You know, the one thing they can say, they can say, I'm bad, I'm a bleacher, I'm a, uh, all these whatever they want to say on the internet. It's, it's, it's irrelevant because speaking the truth is what we will always just die with our truth. And what I've seen and the difference that chlorine dioxide has made, for example, go to YouTube. There's a woman, her name is Laurel, L-A-U-R-E-L, -E Austin, like the, like the city, Laurel Austin. She has gorgeous videos of her 27-year-old son who was totally nonverbal, self-injurious, and epileptic. And now he's 29 last month, and he is verbal. He is no longer epileptic. He is no longer self-injurious. He enjoys bowling very much and is excelling in life. What does it mean? You know, there is no end to where you can see improvements when you do this protocol. So what, what, what do you do, Pete? You go away and you just say, oh, that's not true because the pressure is too much for me. The pressure is too much. Yeah, it's too much. But what's most disheartening to me is that people are not, you know, the 99% of us are not standing together and embracing it and saying, why does it work? Forget the lies. I mean, it is not sodium hypochlorite. It is not bleach. It is not bleach. It is something that has not harmed anybody, yet has recovered and healed many, many people from many, many different labels, diagnoses. So why is it working is what we need to do. And of course, we understand that it's very simple. And like Andreas Kalker is doing much of the science. And for example, Andreas Kalker has videos that actually they did studies during this COVID period. And they found that I think it was a thousand people in, in Ecuador and it was who worked with a particular doctor who was the head of a hospital and every case was recovered in a matter of days. And then Bolivia went on to make it legal and they're actually, the government is passing it out to the people for the healing and recovery. So using chlorine dioxide. So when you heard Trump talk about that four months ago, was he talking about this? I don't know, but so many people sent me like emails. They're like, oh my gosh, he knows about it. I don't know that he knows about it. Like I know, for instance, Dr. Alan Keyes and Bob Sisson, friends of mine. Dr. Alan Keyes was the United Nations ambassador to the U.S. under Reagan. He is an amazing man. And he went with Bob Sisson in 2019 to Uganda. And they treated many, many people with chlorine dioxide and many, many people that had the malaria obviously recovered from it and they left it behind. And Bob Sisson is the person who gives freely the chlorine dioxide more than anybody else in the world. And tons of it, he gives it away every, every year. A very spiritual, wonderful man that has IMTV and now has CLO2.TV. So he's got 
a website also with lots of information on it and things of, of the like. But they went ahead and they recovered lots of people. So these people, they have other people that they know, for example, like, you know, a Dr. Alan Keyes, he still knows people at the White House. So is it possible? But then at that point, you know, why would Trump be talking now about like, oh, yeah, there's this, you know, you can give the blood from somebody who else had it, and then you're going to get the, you know, antibodies kind of still sounds like a vaccine to me. I don't know. I, I have no idea. I don't know. But it sounded kind of exciting at the time. So let's talk about the big thing, the mandatory vaccine that nearly every government in the world is talking about. Like they're pinning their hopes to this. Obviously, the deals have been done from my understanding. So just say mandatory vaccines come in and people take it. Will this be a solution? This is my belief. This is only me speaking, right? I don't believe that you can undo damage from vaccines. For instance, with the autism, what we can do is we can take down the pathogen load, take down the inflammation, seal and heal the gut, and then you can recover. Okay, so that's, that's how the healing happens. But these vaccines that they're going to roll out, they're a whole new breed of vaccine. So they only have, you know, sterility and other forms of damage that would probably only get toxic. And of course, they want to keep giving them because they only last for a short period of time. So they want to keep giving them like boosters. So this is something that, you know, I don't know how old you are, but I, I haven't had a vaccine since uh, you know, probably 50 years ago. I mean, since I was a little kid, I don't remember the last time I had a vaccine. You know, so we're not typically getting vaccines. And now all of a sudden they're going to start vaccinating us. So how's that going to go? I don't know what the answer to it is, except for uh, the 99% of us had better get ourselves together and stop seeing that we're separate. We are not separate you know, on every continent. I mean, we saw what happened in Berlin last weekend with Robert Kennedy Jr. And we saw what happened with David Icke in London, you know, last weekend. I mean, people are up in arms. People are tired of the face mask. They're tired of the story. They're, they don't want the vaccines. You know, why are we going to be forced, marched into vaccines as a world? I mean, this is not even a nation thing anymore. It's just the whole world is going to go down because Bill Gates said it should. It, we're going to all have to take vaccines because Bill Gates said we should. Doesn't that seem a little strange to anybody else? Very strange to me. Very strange. Very, very strange. Well, I think we're going to leave it there, Kerry. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your time and being so flick. Thank you very much for inviting me, Peter. It's wonderful to meet you. And you're doing great work. I also have seen so many things that you've done. It's really inspiring. Thank you so much. I want to tell you that I love you and Aww. from all our listeners and viewers Thank as you. well. Thank you for being brave. And I look forward to meeting you in the flesh one day too. I have to just tell you one thing. There was a quote that I read and I forget who said it, but it said, you never know how strong you are until being strong is your only choice. Hmm. Thank you so much. I think that that's what a lot of people are doing. And I think if more of us just stand our truths and stand together, I think we have a chance as humanity. I'm pulling for humanity. Me too. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. So I know you are. Have a great day. Thank you so much. If you would like to become a qualified health coach, then the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, or IIN for short, can help you achieve your goals. I completed the health coaching course many years ago, which has been one of the catalysts for my own journey into what I now love to do, which is to help people achieve greater health through the sharing of information through my books, seminars, podcasts, TV shows, and films. I recommend IIN for anyone wishing to pursue a career in the health coaching and wellness space. IIN is a one-year course, so that if you're a full-time worker, busy parent, or wherever you are in your life, it is flexible enough so you'll be able to complete all the required curriculum. Please see the link included in the podcast show notes or my website to access the free sample class and first module of their program. This will give you a great taste of the format as well as the structure, and you can also utilize my special discount that I can offer you if you decide to sign up. Make sure you tell the admissions team that you're part of the Pete Evans Tuition Savings to claim your very substantial discount. Please visit integrativenutrition.com or email admissions at integrativenutrition.com. The information, views and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any medical condition. 
Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast.